comforted her and put her at ease. One trip, there was a gentleman sitting, sitting next to her, and he noticed that she was reading her Bible. Finally, with a little bit of a smirk on his face, he leaned over and he said, you don't really believe all that stuff in that book, do you? And she said, yes, of course I do. It's in the Bible. And so she continued reading. Then finally he said, a few minutes later, what about this guy that was swallowed up by this big fish, this whale? And she said, oh, that's Jonah. Yes, I believe it. It's in the Bible. Then he said, well, how do you suppose he survived being that big fish all that time? And then she said, well, I don't know. I guess when I get to heaven, I'll ask him. <laughs> and then he said, with a little bit of sarcasm, what if he isn't in heaven? And then she said, then you can ask him. <laughs> I think it's safe to say that none of us have all the answers. Of all the complexities that life throws our way. In fact, the older I get, the far fewer answers I have and all the more questions I find myself struggling with. In this opening story, this woman claimed that she had knowledge based on scripture. And the man claimed his life experience as well. Well, we need both. And we find them in the one we call Jesus. This morning we witness how Jesus asserts his authority over both the spiritual world and the word of God. Mark gives us a fascinating glimpse into Jesus' world as he begins his public ministry, going into the local synagogue on the Sabbath for worship, as was his custom. It is in this familiar and holy surrounding that Jesus reveals who he truly is. This is big news, big time. From the very beginning, Jesus, as God incarnate, God in the flesh, claims his authority over both the spiritual realm and the knowledge of sacred scripture. And he does it in such a way that people are amazed. Even those skeptical scribes, they are astounded. They are in awe, their mouths hanging open, scratching their heads of how this person could speak so brilliantly, so self-assured, with such he is like someone not of this world. And they are right. David Lewis, pastor and theologian, reminds us, Jesus has come to oppose all the forces that keep us from the abundant life God desires for each and every one of us. God wants the most for our lives, for this life. And he stands in opposition to anything, anything, that robs us of the joy and community and the purpose for what each one of us has been created. This year, we will follow along, we will journey with Mark in the gospel and discover how God's only Son, the Messiah, breaks through barriers, challenges, confronts any kind of authority, person, system, or convention that threatens his mission and that mission of being the good news 
that God is here with us and dwells amongst us. Emmanuel. The moment Jesus reveals himself in the synagogue, his true self, he is immediately confronted with a man who has an unclean spirit, he is possessed. Unlike those who just witnessed Jesus' teaching just moments ago, this unclean spirit, this evil force, seems to know exactly who Jesus is. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Astounding. This unclean spirit that confronts Jesus is clearly a force of evil. The evil that we hear about every day, some of us experiences. Some kind of the, the dark, the empty places in our world, in our lives, and beyond that appear godless and without any hope of redemption. Jesus wastes no time calling and casting out the evil that has possessed this poor soul. And in doing so, Jesus has claimed authority over all that is seen and unseen in all of creation, including that that has robbed this man of what it means to live a full life that God has promised him as God's beloved. It's just as true today for us as it was when Jesus walked in that synagogue in Capernaum. Jesus continues to show up in our lives, often when we least expect it, but usually when we need God the most. What is it that possesses us? What is it that wounds us? Maybe it's our fear and anxiety about work, about health, about finances. Maybe it's feeling defeated, depressed with the current state of our nation and the world. Maybe we're fighting an addiction of some kind, or simply feeling exhausted and depleted from the constant demands and certainties of life in the 21st century. Whatever it may be that possesses you and me from time to time robs us of what it truly means to be fully alive. We take solace. We take hope that God is near nearer than our own breath. And we know that somehow, some way, God is powerful enough to hold it all. The brokenness, the woundedness, the hurt, and the sorrow, as well as the joy. If God is willing to suffer, hanging from a cross and dying a most humiliating death out of pure love for you and for me, Surely, God will be with us in the muck and mire of our own lives. And this, as Christians, is where we place our hope and our very lives. This is what we trust, in a loving God that will meet us in our own brokenness, a God that will not abandon us, a God that will be with us when we're most vulnerable, in most need of God's compassionate love and healing touch. I close with probably one of my most favorite prayers. I've said it often at Vestry and other gatherings, but it seems to capture so well 
our need for God at this time in our lives. It's by Thomas Murphy, a monk, a poet, and a very, very wise soul. My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I'm following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope that desire in all that I am doing, I hope I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may not know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always. Though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death, I will not be, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my peril.